section twenty five of the uses of diversity this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. the uses of diversity by g k chesterton on stage costumes while watching the other evening a very well-managed reproduction of a midsummer night's dream i had the sudden conviction that the play would be much better if it were acted in modern costume or at any rate in english costume we all remember hearing in our boyhood about the absurd conventionality of garrick and mrs siddons when he acted macbeth in a tie wig and a tail-coat and she acted lady macbeth in a crinoline as big and stiff as a cartwheel this has always been talked of as a piece of comic ignorance or impudent modernity as if rosalind appeared in rational dress with a bicycle as if portia appeared with a horsehair wig and side whiskers but i am not so sure that the great men and women who founded the english stage in the eighteenth century were quite such fools as they looked especially as they looked to the romantic historians and eager archaeologists of the nineteenth century i have a queer suspicion that garrick and siddons knew nearly as much about dressing as they did about acting one distinction can at least be called obvious garrick did not care much for the historical costume of macbeth but he cared as much as shakespeare did he did not know much about that prehistoric and partly mythical celtic chief but he knew more than shakespeare and he could not conceivably have cared less now the victorian age was honestly interested in the dark and epic origins of europe was honestly interested in picts and scots in celts and saxons in the blind drift of the races and the blind drive of the religions ossian and the arthurian revival had interested people in distant dark-headed men who probably never existed freeman carlyle and the other teutonists had interested them in distant fair-headed men who almost certainly never existed pusey and pugin and the first high churchmen had interested them in shaven-headed men dark or fair men who did undoubtedly exist but whose real merits and defects would have startled their modern admirers very considerably under these circumstances it is not strange that our age should have felt a curiosity about the solid but mysterious macbeth of the dark ages but all this does not alter the ultimate fact that the only macbeth that mankind will ever care about is the macbeth of shakespeare and not the macbeth of history when england was romantic it was interested in macbeth's kilt and claymore in the same way if england becomes a republic it will be specially interested in the republicans in julius caesar if england becomes roman catholic it will be specially interested in the theory of chastity and measure for measure but being interested in these things will never be the same as being interested in shakespeare and for a man interested in shakespeare a man merely concerned about what shakespeare meant a macbeth in powdered hair and knee breeches is perfectly satisfactory for macbeth as shakespeare shows him is much more like a man in knee breeches than a man in kilt his subtle hesitations and his suicidal impenitence belong to the bottomless speculations of a highly civilized society 
the out-out brief candle is far more appropriate to the last wax taper after a ball of powder and patches than to the smoky but sustained fires and iron baskets which probably flared and smouldered over the swift crimes of the eleventh century the real macbeth probably killed duncan with the nearest weapon and then confessed it to the nearest priest certainly he may never have had any such doubts about the normal satisfaction of being alive however regrettably negligent of the importance of duncan's life he had i fancy few philosophical troubles about the importance of his own the men of the dark ages were all optimists as all children and all animals are the madness of shakespeare's macbeth goes along with candles and silk stockings that madness only appears in the age of reason so far then from garrick's anachronism being despised i should like to see it imitated shakespeare got the tale of theseus from athens as he got the tale of macbeth from scotland and having reluctantly seen the names of those two countries in the record i am convinced that he never gave them another thought macbeth is not a scotch man he is a man but theseus is not only not an athenian he is actually and unmistakably an englishman he is the super squire the best version of the english country gentleman better than wardle in pickwick the duke of athens is a duke that is a duke but not of athens that free city is thousands of miles away if theseus came on the stage in gaiters or a shooting jacket if bottom the weaver wore a smock frock if hermia and helena were dressed as two modern english schoolgirls we should not be departing from shakespeare but rather returning to him the cold classical draperies of which he probably never dreamed but with which we drape aegisthus or hippolyta are not only a nuisance but a falsehood they misrepresent the whole meaning of the play for the meaning of the play is that the little things of life as well as the great things stray on the borderland of the unknown that as a man may fall among devils for a morbid crime or fall among angels for a small piece of piety or pity so also he may fall among fairies through an amiable flirtation or a fanciful jealousy the fact that a back door opens into elfland is all the more reason for keeping the foreground familiar and even prosaic for even the fairies are very neighborly and firelight fairies therefore the human beings ought to be very human in order to effect the fantastic contrast and in shakespeare they are very human hermia the vixen and helena the maypole are obviously only too excitable and quite modern girls hippolyta has never been an amazon she may perhaps have once been a suffragette theseus is a gentleman a thing entirely different from a greek oligarch that golden good nature which employs culture itself to excuse the clumsiness of the uncultured is a thing quite peculiar to those lazier christian countries where the christian gentleman has been evolved for nothing in this world can be amiss when simpleness and duty tender it or again in that noble scrap of sceptical magnanimity which was unaccountably cut out in the last performance the best in this kind are but shadows and the worst are no worse if imagination amend them 
these are obviously the easy and reconciling comments of some kindly but cultivated squire who will not pretend to his guests that the play is good but who will not let the actors see that he thinks it bad but this is certainly not the way in which an athenian tory like aristophanes would have talked about a bad play but as the play is dressed and acted at present the whole idea is inverted we do not seem to creep out of a human house into a natural wood and there find the superhuman and supernatural the mortals in their tunics and togas seem more distant from us than the fairies in their hoods and peaked caps it is an anticlimax to meet the english elves when we have already encountered the greek gods the same mistake oddly enough was made in the only modern play worth mentioning in the same street with a midsummer night's dream peter pan sir james barry ought to have left out the fairy dog who puts the children to bed if children had such dogs as that they would never wish to go to fairyland this fault or falsity in peter pan is of course repeated in the strange and ungainly incident of the father being chained up in the dog's kennel here indeed it is much worse for the man-like dog was pretty and touching the dog-like man was ignominious and repulsive but the fallacy is the same it is the fallacy that weakens the otherwise triumphant poetry and wit of sir james barry's play and weakens all our treatment of fairy plays at present fairyland is a place of positive realities plain laws and a decisive story the actors of a midsummer night's dream seemed to think that the play was meant to be chaotic the clowns thought they must be always clowning but in reality it is the solemnity nay the conscientiousness of the yokels that is akin to the mystery of the landscape and the tale End of section 25